you are the greatest artist of all time. Um, that you've sculpted the landscape of both time and eternity. And you are not limited by time and space. Um, and matter of fact, you in your nature, you are beautiful and worthy to be preached and proclaimed. And so that's what we do. Every time we gather, we preach and we proclaim you, um, especially your son, who's the gateway into a relationship with you. So, God, I pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. God, my strength, my redeemer, in whom I put all of my trust. We put all of our trust. Um, let our instruction be love from a pure heart, a sincere faith, and a clear conscience. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen, amen, amen. Um, turn your Bibles to Malachi 3. We're still in our stewardship series. Um, and as we've talked about, last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew, Malachi, right there, right there, right there. All right? So just grab Malachi chapter 3. Usually um, this, this passage um, is preached from a particular vein, and we want to, this is going to be a, a, a class today. So we're going to have a good time as the Lord takes us through the scriptures, and we're going to learn some things. Look at verse, we're going to start off at verse 6 through verse 12. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers, uh, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour, uh, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of, the soil, of your soil and your vine in the field shall not uh, fail to bear. Says the Lord of hosts, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I know some of y'all are scared to death right now um, because you are, you've probably, if you have been in the church for any amount of time, have heard this passage preached. And one of the challenges about this passage is most churches, most of us as pastors, have preached this as if we are still under the old covenant and have preached it to the point to where people are motivated to give because of consequences, not Christ. Somebody ought to hear me. And, see, and, see, and so what happens is your, your scare tactics are used to get you to give um, because of a lack of trust. So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive in. We're going to dive into this passage because I think it's a giving pink elephant. Um, I don't think you can deal with giving if you don't deal with this passage. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into it today, and you're going to find out if you're here for a while that we are not afraid of the Bible here. We, we want to preach everything that God says, and we want to make sure that we rightfully divide the word of truth. Amen. And, and, but we have guiding principles 
that help us in that. So you're going to find out several things. You're going to find out how does this impact New Testament believers. You're going to find out about that. You're going to actually study. I'm going to do a, a mini hermeneutics class in the middle of why we're doing this. Because I don't think you can really interpret this well unless you get into biblical exegesis and hermeneutics. Because one of the things that I want to do as, as, as one of your shepherds here is, is really help you not to just hear what we say, but know how to study what we say. Because we want, we want you to be Bereans in a way that properly critiques for the purpose of application, not critiquing for the purpose of critique. Are you with me? And, 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 and so as we go through this, this is going to be some fun today. So I want you to, if you ain't got a pen and paper, you need to ask somebody for one. And matter of fact, I'm going to give you your homework assignment as class has begun. Your homework assignment for the next two weeks is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Yeah, you write it down, put it in your iPad, iPhone, black, whatever you got to do, baby boy, baby girl. Put it on there. All right? And then you're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to meditate on that for the next two weeks. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. Y'all should have already had your pen and paper out. I'm just teasing, just saying. Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. I want you to read and meditate on that. Um, and this is going to be fun today. Y'all ready to have some fun? Yeah, so this week, we, you, you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? But I'm about to, I'm, I'm like, if I was in the South, I said, I'm fitting um, put on. Uh, 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 finna or fixin', it's called a whoop out of the south you from, the western south or the eastern south, but, um, but, but I'm finna put on my professor's hat. And I think this is going to be very, very important for us as we study God's ideal for God's people giving. Now, we're in the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is one of the most challenging books uh, in the Old Testament to decipher for its applicational value and theological value for the Christian, okay? So, 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 so what, how do we apply new covenant principles here? Now, you got to understand, all of Scripture is profitable for doctrine. Can I say that louder? In other, in other words, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. So if you're here thinking because someone is in the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to you, all of the Bible applies to you, the question is, how do you read Christ rightfully back into that passage? But before you read Christ into it, you got to do your homework in it. So the Bible speaks in types and shadows in the Old Testament about Jesus. Before you can see how Jesus looks in the Old Testament, you have to understand the original author's intent to the original audience, then apply a principle of how Christ is pictured based on those original principles that were given. Y'all still, still walking with me? So we're here in this passage, and we're here in probably one of the most gully passages, probably the most gully books in, 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 in the Bible, because God is ticked. He's hot with his people, especially his leaders, because they're wilding. And so what, he's, what, he, what, what has happened is the children of Israel have gotten out of captivity. They were in Babylon for 77 plus years, several years, probably 14 years have gone past and the temple hasn't been rebuilt. And so after they have began the process of rebuilding the temple and developing their worship practices back, they were raggedy in a mug. They were just raggedy. They, they were they were straight raggedy. And so God is calling his people um, 
back to him. So the overarching issue here is an issue of repentance and total restoration of Yahweh-centered worship. That's what this book is about. However, there are issues that are mile markers in showing them that they're off in need of repentance and restoration in their worship to the living God. He names multiple areas in the book in which they're off base. Number one, their worship is foul. Their worship is foul. It become, it's become routine and just, just, you know, a whatever type deal. Divorce. Cats just divorcing their wives. You can look more at Nehemiah for that. Dude to just divorce his wife, get cop another wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all good. I mean, you know. They have no biblical principle, so it's widespread. Social justice is off. And so it's being ignored and giving is being neglected. These are just some of the issues. And really what God spends most of his time in the passage dealing with is people's posture towards him that helps all of these other things get back into their right application. That's, it's always a heart issue with God. God didn't start dealing with the heart in the New Testament. I, 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 I want you to get that. Some people think because you're under the because they were under the law that all God dealt with was their practices and ceremony. God was always concerned about heart, always. What, what, what the, when the scripture talks about He's seeking, looking across the earth, seeing if anyone's heart is bent, heart is bent towards Him. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the the issues of life. I want to give you a new. He's always been concerned about His people's heart. And he's always been concerned about them seeing Jesus. Always. So we get here in this passage, and God has a beef with his people, which we're only going to really have one point today, and it's going to take a while to kind of unpack all of it. <laughs> so stay with me. I got like 24 pages here, so pray for me that I get through it. 24 pages of notes, so pray for me. Uh-oh, somebody said, uh-oh. I heard somebody in the back say, uh-oh. Yeah, it's going to be one of those, big baby. So put on your seatbelt. All right, one point today, giving, giving is a, underline a, barometer for overall spiritual health. Giving is a barometer or plumb line, or, or, it, 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 it is, it is a, uh, a barometer for overall spiritual health. God, in this passage, is, 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 is throughout this book, are looking at key things that show his people that they're out of joint with him. Therefore, now he's in the section on giving. Now, here, first thing he says, which is interesting, is I, the Lord, do not change. I like that. God starts off talking about his nature. It's interesting. He talks about what, before he talks about giving, he talks to them about who he is. In other words, he said, I, the Lord, do not change. How does he not change? It says, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not, uh, uh, are not consumed. Now, this is powerful. <laughs> because, because God is saying right here in this passage, he said, he says, I, I, I'm the covenant-keeping God. Okay? I keep covenants. A covenant, for those of us who don't understand what a covenant is, is a legally binding agreement between two or more people. Now, God says, I am a covenant-keeper. In other words, when I say something, I keep my word. I don't front like y'all do. All right? So he said, I don't say one thing and do another. He says, matter of fact, 
even when I have the right to do something I have the right to do, I don't do it. Why? Because he says, I didn't consume y'all. Why? I got the right. See, some of y'all say God ain't fair. You don't want him to be fair. You don't want. See, if God was fair with you, let, let me hold on. <laughs> Think about your week this week. If God was fair with your raggedy behind. Some of the stuff you had to say in your prayer closet this week, if you confessed anything, if he was fair with you, would have destroyed you. If you, if, if, if you say not true, you're a liar. You're, you're lying. He should be fair in destroying you because you lied about nothing being wrong with you this week. <laughs> and, so, and so if God was, but he's fair even to not give us according to our sin what he can do to consume us. And so he begins talking about his relationship with us. Everything that God has always done with his people has always flown out of relationship. Always flown out of relationship. And so Yahweh starts off talking about, I don't change. I'm like, when is it going to stop? I'm, Good gracious, that was a long siren. Um, trying to talk over it. You know, in preaching classes, they tell you, you got to talk through babies crying. You got to talk through sirens. You got to talk through people falling out in the aisle. Whatever happened, you got to talk through it. So I tried to talk through it. So I probably got an A for that section of it. All right, verse 7, verse 7. For the days of your fa- from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Same principle as in James chapter 4 where God says, if you draw near to me, guess what he'll do? I'll draw near to you. So when he says return, he's talking about turning, changing your mind, and turning back to him. In other words, repentance. To change your mind about what you're doing and accept his mind based on what he's telling you to do. And so God is so powerful that he's gracious in helping us in our turning back to him. And he calls us to that versus expecting it without asking us for it. So he's so beautiful that he asked the people and told the people and demanded, turn to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And they're like, how shall we? And he says, but you say, how should we return? Like, we ain't got nothing to repent of. He said, he said, he said, in this place, he said he, what you talking about, God? I'm good. Like, I'm doing these, I'm presenting these sacrifices. You know, I'm married. You know, he's walking through, and they're walking through all of the issues that they have and saying, like, I'm good. He's like, all right, you want to ask the question? You want to get grimy with it? Let's get grimy. Let's go. So he says, all right. He says, will a man rob me? Now, you got to understand rob. Rob means to plunder or exploit or molest, to take advantage of. It, 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 it has the equal value of you getting, out of, getting in your car at the car, uh, car garage, and as soon as you open your car, somebody put a, your, put a gun in your hand and say, break yourself. And, and, and taking possessions from you that rightfully belong to you to take for themselves. God is saying, you're robbing me by taking what rightfully belongs to me and taking it for yourself. He said, so will a man, he said, how in the world is somebody going to take advantage of God? God said, the beef I got with you is you take advantage of me. Now, don't be, don't like, don't act like I'm a punk right now, right? Because I'm going I'm to I'm talk crazy to you in a second. 
So don't act like you're actually physically robbing me. I'm using this as a euphemism to talk about your depth of betrayal of your covenant with me. I'm I'm using it as a picture of of what it looks like, what it looks like and what you're doing to me in relation to how you offer things to me. And so he goes forward and 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 then he says, I know what you're going to say. How have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. Idea of tithes and contributions. And and, and so you're going to need your Bible out. I didn't put it, I didn't want it up here on purpose. I, I want your Bible out or you need to be next to somebody because we're going to wrestle with these pages. Take your little silk string right here and lay it in Malachi. Hold it down, pull it real tight, and, 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 and we're going to go through the Bible. Now, it's interesting that listening to commentators on this passage and, and, and talking about the nature of tithing. I mean, I, I mean, I did my own exegetical work and then went, uh, and, went and then uh, that's what you're supposed to do, by the way. You're supposed to do work in the text with you and the Holy Spirit. Then you scurry to the scholars. But you don't scurry to the scholars first so you can understand the text. Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. They can help you understand the text. However, you, you consult the greater pantheon of the Christian faith with their sound wisdom who have gone further and longer in the text for you, with, oh, uh, um, to text to use those as secondary sources. And you, this is a class. Now, I told you it's going to be a class this morning, didn't I? And you grab those and you utilize those in helping you to see how they've done exegesis. You don't look at them to do exegesis. But you use primary sources when you do it. Exegesis is taking what's in the text out, not adding to the text. Class time, baby. So tithes. Now, John MacArthur said something interesting about this. He says two kinds of giving are taught consistently throughout Scripture. Giving to the government, always um, uh, compulsory, and giving to God, always voluntary. The issue has been greatly confused, however, by some who misunderstand the nature of the Old Testament tithes. Tithes were not primarily gifts to God, but taxes for funding the national budget of Israel. That's not true. That is not true. And, um, and, 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 and that, that comes from some of us, we use what's called a, 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 a system of interpreting Scripture that even affects how we interpret Scripture. That it, as you trek with me through the Bible, we're going to trek through multiple Scriptures today, and you're going to see that it was more than, I mean, I don't understand how you can make the statement that that doesn't even make sense, that tithes were not primarily gifts to God. Like, that, that, like, that doesn't even, that, like, it was just for taxes. That's mind-boggling to me. So, um, now, these are some of the issues that you're going to have to work through as we work through the tithe. Stay with me. Don't go to sleep on me. Don't nod. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes. Stay with me. There are three types of laws, okay, as we study this. There are three types of laws. There's civic law, there's ceremonial law, and there's moral law. Now, the civic law are just governing regulations of the Old Testament, the law prophets, I mean, the, mainly the law, uh, Genesis, uh, mainly to Deut- uh, Deuteronomy, mainly, but, but can also include Joshua. I mean, uh, yeah, Joshua. And so those are, you'll see regulations in it. Then you'll see ceremonial laws like um, uh, sin offerings, burnt offerings, those type of things. Then you will see moral law. Now, civic law and ceremonial law have ended because of the cross. Now, this is important in relation to our understanding of tithing. Very, very important. Now, moral law continues. In other words, God doesn't say, well, you know, not, not fornicating was Old Testament law. You know, it's cool to wild out now. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
Worship should be over. We, can, we don't have to worship the Lord anymore because that was old covenant. Some people even go as far as to say you shouldn't use instruments anymore because Jesus Christ uh, paid that we don't have to use instruments no more. Maybe an organ. So I don't know where they get that from. Um, but anyway, some people say acapella. But I was like, okay, stop tripping. So moral law continues. So tithing goes under all three, though. Tithing is civic, ceremonial, and moral, therefore, or, or the principle of giving. The principle of giving itself continues. And so that brings us to our next hermeneutical principle. Stay with me, y'all, because this is going to play out in how we read these Old Testament passages and compare it to the New Testament, point to Jesus and our application. Y'all still with me? Now, the next two principles, it's constant, say continuity and discontinuity. Continuity means it continues. That's all it means. Real simple. It means a principle continues from Old Testament to New Testament. That means that the cross doesn't change our relationship with how we practice something in principle. Okay? Discontinuity means it's over. That it's all been fulfilled in Christ, and you no longer have to do that particular thing that you would that was under the Old Testament law. So now let's go to the tithe. Turn over to Genesis chapter 14. Now, this is all to explain God's philosophy of calling them to talking about they robbed him in their tithes and offerings. Now, look here, and we're going we're to lay this out. Look at verse 17. It says, after he returned from the defeat of that dude right there, Ched de Loamer, I think that's his name, and the kings <laughs> who were with him, the Lord of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavach, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram by, uh, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be Most High, uh, God Most High. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand? And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, when you look at this, and many people, of course, talk about uh, tithing predating the law, which it does in, in a sense. What did he tithe here? Did he tithe all of his possessions? No. He tithed from the things that were gained through that fight he just had. So, so, so the principle of tithing we see here, but we don't see it as a rule of life in everything that Abraham had. And we'll talk about why later. Stay with me. Turn your Bible over to Genesis. So we're going to go to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Verse 22. It says, this is after Jacob had an encounter with God. He said, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house or Bethel or the house of God. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we see here the principle of the tithe being used, but we, we don't see that this is necessarily a regulated amount. When you see, when you see Abraham having had given it, it was something of free will that he gave. It wasn't a, a, an edict or, or, uh, uh, or a commandment that was put in place that said he had to do that. It wasn't in place, okay? And so here we see 
Um, even with um, even with Jacob, this wasn't in place, but somehow, some way, shape or form, which even most commentators don't understand. He vowed this amount based on all that he would ever get in his life. But you'll see that um, your man never keeps his promise at all, at all. He didn't he didn't give nothing. He made vows. That's why you got to be watchful for what you say. You know what I'm saying? Deuteronomy 14. Now we're going to get into the post institution of the law. What does it look like in the post institution of the law? Told you it's going to be in your Bibles, people. Yes. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse, we'll do verse 22. And he says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. You shall tithe, you shall tithe. All the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Turn over to Exodus chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. Exodus 22, second book of the Bible. Let's keep it moving. Exodus 22. It says... You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. Mm. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day uh, uh, you shall give it to me. Fatten it up to be given to the Lord. 23, Exodus twenty-three nineteen. The best of the first fruits of the ground, of your, of, of your ground, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Then you'll see Deuteronomy, turn over to Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 12, which is, I'm just reading these to you and we'll explain these in a second. Deuteronomy 12, verses 11 and 12, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, Okay? Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you, uh, uh, your burnt offering and your sacrifice, your tithes, your contributions that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Look at the spirit of the passage. Even in the midst of the law, whether you believe in tithing or not, Giving was always supposed to be given under a certain attitude and spirit. And so we see that God always required cheerful giving. Always. It's, It's not just the New Testament principle. We see it here. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. He said, you shall tithe, verse 22, all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the same place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil and, your first, and the firstborn of your herd that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. What does fear God mean? To stand in awe of the reality of God. So even in their giving, let's look at the attitude. Don't just look at the amount. Look at the attitude. In other words, 
<coughs> giving was supposed to spark worship and come and flow from worship of God. Always, always. Whether tithing or any other type of giving, first fruits or all types of giving, God always wanted his people to do that. Now you see in Genesis that it wasn't a particular place that it was sent to. I mean, not a particular place, but you didn't see that there was structured giving in place. Then when you see um, the, rearing of the, the rearing of the tabernacle in Exodus, you see that now God begins from Exodus to Deuteronomy developing giving regulations. Well, why is that? Because now God's kingdom program is centralized in a people, and therefore there is a need of service for the tabernacle, for the temple, for the outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. There's a need of help for that. There's a need of worshipers, um, choirs, and, and all they did all day was choirs rotated, singing. Can you imagine being on the praise team and singing for like 10 hours a day? You got first shift. And lighting incense. Dude, light incense. All you're supposed to do is keep incense. And, 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 and during that period of time, um, the, during that period of time, the, the people of God were worshiping and having a beautiful posture, um, um, but before the Lord they got. And so in order to do that, those people were, those tithes and offerings, many of them were used for several things. First off, it was used for the Levites and the Aaronic priesthood. Number two, it was used for missional giving. It was used for missional giving. In other words, mission didn't start in the New Testament. It was given to sojourners and strangers who were in financial need. And when they were given stuff, it would proclaim the excellencies of God. <laughs> and then they would be drawn in and say, what's up with you guys the way you all are? I want to be a part of this nation. And can I hang around the people of God? And they would end up hanging around because God always wanted his glory to go to the nation. So. Back to Malachi. I'm not going to go over all those passages, but there is a multitude of passages that talk about this. Now, right here in Malachi, when it talks about tithes and contributions, in Malachi, the withholding of tithes was a sign of a larger pattern of disobedience. See, God had put in place that they would give. And God's passion was that the people of God would always worship him with everything that they had. The, the important thing to understand, especially for us as Christians, based on John 4, we don't worship, we are worshipers. Who worship? Therefore, everything in our life worships. Everything. So even our giving is, guess what? An act of worship. By them not giving, they were committing idolatry. In other words, they weren't worshiping God in a particular way in their life, meaning that it wasn't just a giving issue, but it was a heart issue. And so when he goes in, it also talks about the invitation was uh, eventually later we'll see that God says, test me. So, so when we talk about this idea of tithes, what does is, what is the Bible in the New Testament say about tithes? Well, Jesus mostly talks negatively about tithes. <laughs> Um, he talls about it in Matthew 23, 23, you can write that down, and Luke eleven forty two. He talks negatively about them, not because he, he's not cool with them. It's because of the act, because people giving to show off their giving rather than show off Jesus. So now, hold your finger there, <clears throat> and we're going to turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. But we're going to talk about the larger context in this passage, which should motivate our giving based on Malachi, right? 
<laughs> so, let's go to verse 4 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. It says, in verse 4, chapter 7, it says, So how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those uh, descendants of Levi who received the priestly offering have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham, but these men who, who does not have his a descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Uh, um, it was beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the, in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in, in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, he's teaching his butt off right here. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under the law, uh, for, for under it, the people received the law, further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one name after the order of Aaron. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement, listen to that, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indes an indestructible life, for it is witness of him, talking about Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So when you look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is talking about Jesus being greater than everyone. Jesus is greater than angels. Gr Jesus is greater than Michael. Jesus is greater than a uh, 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 Gabriel. Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than the Levitical priest. Jesus is greater than everything. So now he's talking and trying to convince them that they are under a better covenant, not that the former covenant was sinful. So therefore, when he talks about the when we talk about the principle of the tithe for the Christian, I think we can use that as a base base mark. But when you make it a principle for um for cursing, which I will discuss in a second, which is abhorrent, um that's a whole nother discussion. But we're going to talk about it in just a second. We ought to be motivated to giving because we're under a greater covenant, not because we're going to be cursed. If you're under a greater covenant, Christ gave his life through the gospel. He gave everything. The father, like we talked about last week, gave Jesus. The motivation to give is based on being under a new covenant, not based on the restrictions and pains of an old covenant. So if anybody teaches you to give because your car is going to break down. Because your clothes in your closet are going to get molded. Because where did they get that from? You are cursed with a curse. Wow. So they, they're saying that you're under the curse of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 through 69. Or 68 I believe. One of the two. But, the, but it's in Deuteronomy 28. Verses 1 through 15, 14 is, is about... It's about, um, it's about blessing. The second part is about curses. Now, the curses are longer than the blessings. Um, and, and so, but, but, but God, now, now you're, so you're telling me that the reason why I should give is because God will curse me if I don't. There's a problem with that. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to start with verse 11 because it just don't do it no justice by itself, big baby. We got to get into the whole thing to see the beauty of our Lord. This is what our motivation to give is for people of God. Verse 11. Mm. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Uh, uh, you, you can even add, you can write in your margin right beside that uh, 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 Romans chapter 3 verse 20 which says by works of the law shall no flesh be justified the righteous shall live by faith uh, but the law is not of faith rather the one who does them shall live by them Christ redeemed us from what the curse of the law so Jesus Christ took on the curses that would do us because of our disobedience to the law So on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ took on as a cursed person because the Bible says, cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. Jesus gradually, and it says says, that person should be cursed and not to be um, even left in the city because this God's city is holy in that verse. So Jesus Christ made himself look like he was unholy. Jesus Christ allowed upon him all of the plagues, all of the curses of the Bible so that he can become a cure for us. So when you tell Christians to be motivated to give because of a curse, that's legalism and it's demonic. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. Are there consequences for not giving? We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And so somebody, please, just tell me how much to give. Just tell me. Should it be 50%? I know it ain't that. That's wilding right there. If you actually counted up all of the tithes, they would tithe, and then in the third year, they would do three tithes. So it actually would be 33, I mean, 23 and a half percent. So if we really want to talk about it, it's a tithe. That's a whole other story. So I think we can use 10% as a baseline. I think that if you go below that in the new covenant, we may be on some plan. Now, somebody say, well, should I tithe off the gross of the net? See? See that? See? Now, what, what, did, you, what did Uncle Sam do? He, he made your net a net <laughs> because he took off the gross. So the reason why you got a net is because of him. So now you're going gonna to let Uncle Sam, you're going to be more faithful to Uncle Sam than Jesus. The motivation for giving is not curses. It's because he's been good to you. He's, he, and he's worthy of the praise. So why are you all scared and shaking in your boots? I don't make enough money. Yeah, but if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't make any money. Oh, it's quiet in here right now. You sitting there, yeah. See, this is the last frontier of your doggone spiritual life. No matter where you are in your life, whether you make $2 an hour plus tips, or or, or, or you are on, on, uh, what you call it? Not salary, the other thing. Commission, thank you. If you're on commission, give. Give. Give a lot. Give a lot. Don't be afraid of giving. Give. Listen, listen. Don't have this compulsive attitude towards giving. Or keep it. What are we afraid of? And one of the things that I want us to be as a church is I don't want us to be the church that always gets excited when someone sends the church a check from outside of it. But when it's our turn to contribute to what God is doing missionally here, 
we're lagging behind. Because if we believe because of Christ's death on the cross that he's worthy and that we're under a better covenant, because we're under a better covenant, we should give better. So that's your motivation. Now, is that grace giving? No, all giving is grace. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, which I'm going to spend some time next time, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, there's no such thing as grace giving. The text never said it. It uses the word grace a lot, but all giving is an act of grace because God was gracious enough to give you some money. He didn't have to. That's called unmerited favor. You didn't work for it, but he gave it to you. Amen. So if you got to always ask, what should I give off of? You ain't in the right spirit. Should I give off of my tax return? Should I give off of my honorarium? Should I give off this extra money that I got? Should I, see, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong. You're not worshiping anymore. You're under compulsion now. Compulsion says, how can I give? Because we'll talk about what it means to sow sparingly and to reap sparingly. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. There are blessings to giving because he does say here, right here in the text, he'll say later, he'll say that thereby put me to the test, which this is unique to Malachi. You will never see this in other passages. It's because of the deficit of their worship in here that he gives them a principle of putting him to the test that he'll pull out the windows of heaven. Pulling out the windows of heaven wasn't normal. Look at all the other passages on giving. You never see it in the context of the passage. Um, even in the Old Testament, there were things that were cut off because of disobedience that was not tied necessarily just to the giving, but the condition of their heart that caused cancer to go throughout the entirety of their spiritual life. <laughs> but then he says, bring the full tithes to the storehouse. And this is very important because um, the, the principle, what some people will call the principle of the storehouse, has always been uh, a, a principle of a central hub for where God wants giving to be given. Even when you, and I'm just going to roll through this, you know, really this, this word here, storehouse, was really a place within the temple, which is really a storeroom in which all of the tithes and the contributions were stored if they weren't burnt or used. They were, that was kind of like the bank, so to speak. And it was the main distribution center for the people of God to utilize God's resources when properly distributed and centralized among the people of God to be distributed out to the people of God and to the world for the name of the living God. So when you look at storehouse, he says, bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to my central hub. Bring it to my central hub is what God's. And I, I do believe that we see this throughout the Bible, and it transcends, and it's a continuous principle that even transcends even the Old Testament. We see Cain and Abel bringing an offering to a particular place in Genesis 4. We see Abraham bringing his gift to Melchizedek before it was centralized. We see in Exodus 36, we see Moses and, uh, and the people's contribution. It was brought to a particular place. We see in Nehemiah 10.37, they brought their dough, they brought their fruit, they brought their contributions, they brought their oil, they brought them to a central place. This is when the, uh, the, um, this is when, uh, the temple was rebuilt or during the period where it was being rebuilt as well as the walls of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace 
was upon them. And great grace was upon them. It wasn't just on their giving. It was on everything. And particularly on them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So you see them not even... Even though some of the Jews would have had the principle of the tithe in mind, they gave above and beyond that in the principle of a free will offering. And it says, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, now, some of us laugh at this, but biblically, this is a good principle. Now, this is, this is, this is, this is describing where giving was given. It's not prescribing, even though we'll see it in Romans, I mean, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is brought to a particular place. Here are the apostles' feet. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to come up here and drop stuff up here. You, want, you do if you want to, you know what I'm saying? But you don't have to do that, right? Um, um, it, there was, even when you look at the New Testament, there was a central place of giving. Even when they sold their property, they brought it centrally to the local community so that the local community can distribute it. I, I, want, I want Epiphany Fellowship, and I believe God does, want the giving to be so streamed is that if somebody we agree with is raising money, they don't have to raise support through letters. But, the, but even when Paul raised money, you'll see that it was stored up with the people of God, then distributed. It wasn't just this random check writing thing that goes out. Be, because the local leadership and the community are supposed to judge together who should we be supporting? And if we support them, we give to the central hub and distribute from the central hub so that God gets the glory and the church is the central distribution hub for where his resources go out. And so we, and so this principle of the storehouse, even though it's here, it, 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 you always see giving. This is biblical theology, y'all. Where, where you see it always being brought to a place. It's not just randomly thrown out. And so we want to be able to do this and, 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 so, that, so that there can be a, a fiery giving process so that we, because for us, we need more staff. We don't have enough elders. We don't have enough full-time pastors. We, we don't, we're not planting enough churches. We shouldn't have to pull up an offering for the air conditioning system. We should just, we should just put that out. Stop. That's enough. We got enough. We need to be a cheerful giving church. We, 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 every, because we, we, I want the curse. This is the curse. I'm going to tell you what the curse is. Giving being a curse word in the church. Because giving has been so badly done by us as pastors. And some of you have been emotionally raped by the church. So when you hear about giving, you sh you, your whole system, you just shut down. Because giving for you is, see that, see that. Every time someone just talks about, see, that's all they want. No, no, no. You can't close off any area of your life from Jesus. That's why our motto here is showing off the glory of Christ in what? Now, where do we get that from? Colossians 1, 15 through 17. And one of the powerful things is, is that Jesus Christ created all things for him. So if, so that means that you were created for him. Your, the bank was created for him. 
this was created for him, and what it's used for is for him. So that means you can't set this over there. Don't you touch my wallet. You can't, you can't set that over there and be over here and say you're a worshiper. Because that means that God, well, no, 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 just leave that over there. I'm here. Here I am, Lord, send me. Not that, though, just me. See, when you're a worshiper of God, everything, and in Christ, everything comes under the umbrella of his cross. And so, therefore, everything must be used by him in your life and in my life. So what motivates us to give? Not that your car, if you don't give, I'm telling you, if you don't give this morning in the mighty name of Jesus, if you don't give this morning, you're going to be cursed with a curse. You're going to go out outside and, 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 and your car, you're going to try to start your car and your car's not going to start. Amen. Your, your, your engine's going to fall out. Your, your tires are going to get flat. They're going to be mildew in your closet. You're not going to be able to get your hair cut. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your girlfriend. You're going to lose everything until you bring the tithe to God's house. Somebody don't, no, 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 no. Now, I like that style of preaching every now and then, but I don't like what was being said. So we want to be motivated. God's, God's call in Malachi was a call to worship. It was a call to worship. Even if you read further, even if you read further, it says in verse 12, it says, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God always wants his glory to go out to the nations. The worship of his community is supposed to impact the nations. But if we don't give to God, motivated by God in our giving, guess what happens? Is that there is mission that won't happen. It ain't, I told y'all, it ain't for me to get a Bentley, a burgundy one, with the crushed grill and the beige interior, with the car, the car start on its own. You just put your key in your pocket and push the button with the drop top, with this tight system. It's not for me to get an M3. It's not for me to get an Armani suit or some, or, or some Gucci sneaks. All right? It's for the kingdom. So I want you to get the curse out of your mind. Get your bad experiences about giving out of your mind. And if you have that, we want to shepherd you through it. We're willing to shepherd you. If you've been hurt in any way, we want to shepherd you through that. But we're not going to let you get away with closing off your life because of hurt. Because hurt is not a motivation. Hurt is bitterness. And so God wants to heal that bitterness that you experienced in that church or by that pastor or in that situation where giving was raggedy and heal you from that situation to make you healthy so you can give healthy. So you don't have the right to withhold any of your areas of your life because of hurt. Nothing. Because now you become an idol. Your hurt be becomes the altar of worship. Your pain becomes the altar of worship. And then you try to tell God, well, I'm hurting. You know what I'm saying? It was because you're just going off on God. God, like, I understand. But in a minute, I'm going to back smack you. Uh, in a minute. <laughs> but I'm going to bring you on in while I'm smacking you. Come on in. Come on in. Come, come on in while I'm smacking you. 
and I'm going to love on you, kiss you, heal your wounds, pat you on back out on the mission field. Because some of you have been so hurt that you've been operating out of your hurt. And God, through his cross, wants to heal your hurt, if you'll let him. And you, 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 want the, you want the church that gave and treated you like that in giving to repent, but now you need to repent. Because you've made your hurt an idol. And now turn back to the God that saved you. And then say, God, I don't want any area of my life closed off so that my sacrifices will be corroded. <laughs> but God, because, because God, if I'm not worshiping you in every area of life, my life will never be the place and the way that it should be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross to not only remove sin, but to also heal you of your hurts and the grief of sin. He's not just your propitiation to God's wrath, but he's also expiation to relieve your griefs. So give it to him today. Give it to him today. And maybe you're not a Christian today. And, and, you've rela- and giving has been a negative apologetic for why you don't believe in Jesus Christ because Christians are greedy and Christians are hypocrites and Christians say one thing and Christians do another. When you get before the great white throne of God, you will not be able to use Christians as an example for why you should get into heaven. Because the Bible says that you will be judged based on the deeds that you did. And matter of fact, he'll take your own standard, Romans 2, that you held Christians to and see if you held to your own standard and show you how raggedy you were in committing to your own standard and send you to hell, not based on the Christians, but you. <laughs> so, so there are no more excuses, y'all. We're going to break. We're going to break. I want the Holy Ghost to break this, this giving thing. Because we need to be able to talk about money and think of it in worshipful terms, in useful terms for the work of God and for his kingdom and for your life. Instead of thinking about what you're going to do with your paycheck. Lay your paycheck with a direct deposit or you go to the check cash and place down the street. Or you go to the liquor store to get a cash. Lay it before the Lord and say, God, next time you get, get some, this is yours, God. I lay this before you as an act of worship towards you. I want to give to you. We'll talk about principles of giving next time. Father, maybe there's someone here who is holding a grudge against you. Um, all of us at one point in our journey get sour with your sovereignty (laughs) and feel as if you owe us something because we were hurt. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would recognize that you've already paid for everything and that you don't owe us anything. You didn't really owe us Jesus. You gave him to us freely. God, but what we owe to you is our life. And everything in it. If anyone here is not a Christian, Lord, 
pray that you would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Help them to repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ's death on the cross alone for salvation, that he covered their sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're a person that wants to talk more about that, talk more about...